Hello, I'm Laura Lee Siemens, and this is my third bonus podcast. Uh, you can catch my regular podcast on Thursdays where I explain the history behind the current events of the day. In these bonus episodes, though, I'm trying to help families learn about our church history. So far, I've done Hudson Taylor, Corey Ten Boom, and today we're doing John and Betty Stan. When I was in college, I read the biography of John and Betty Stan. Their story made a huge impact on me, probably because I grew up with a little bit of that communist connection. I grew up in a pastor's home in Newfoundland, Canada, and in our family room, we had a large poster that we had faces of the men and women living being held prisoner in communist countries. And we would pray for each of these people. Sometimes we would get word that the person we were praying for had been killed or had been freed. I learned at a very young age that communism and Christianity cannot coexist. And this, of course, became clear to the world through the story of John and Betty Stan. If you've not heard the story of Hudson Taylor, I would recommend listening to that podcast. It's kind of a part one to this story. In the beginning of the 1900s, China was changing quickly. The nation was on a decline. The government of China was not really in control anymore. China had been ruled by one family, but they were losing control of the land and the people. There had been two great wars over opium, known as the Opium Wars. These wars ended with China not being able to control their ports anymore. Britain had gained control of the Hong Kong port. Then Japan had attacked China. This led to Japan taking control of Korea, Taiwan, and Port Arthur. After that, Europe took over most of the cities and the ports, and the Chinese moved inland, away from the ports, because the Chinese culture was no longer even accepted in the port cities. The people controlling the ports controlled the trade. So really, the government had lost control of the country. The people of China were angry because of the wishes of the Chinese people were no longer being heard. So really, the government at this point was losing the people as well. It was during this time when all of these things were going on that Hudson Taylor had come to China as a missionary and had broken the missionary protocol by leaving the ports and going into the inlands where the Chinese lived. He had lived, dressed, and ate and talked like a Chinese. Hudson started a mission board called the China Inland Mission. Many missionaries left the comfort of their home to join Hudson in the inlands of China. Anyone who came had to promise to live as a Chinese person. They had to speak the language, wear the clothes, and eat the food. One of these missionaries was the Scott family. A young couple had a brand new baby, little Betty Scott family arrived in China shortly after the death of Hudson Taylor. Before their arrival, war had broken out. It had become known as the Boxer War, although it had nothing to do with boxing. The British didn't understand the martial arts, so they called it Chinese boxing. Many of the Chinese had rallied to support the government. They wanted the foreigners out. Most of these fighters studied martial arts. They were angry at both the traitors and the Christians. The boxers killed many of the missionaries that had come to serve with Hudson Taylor. Not just men, the women and even the little children were killed. It had been a horrible time for the church. But the church had stayed strong. 
The missionaries that survived had to flee, but the Chinese Christians had stayed and the churches had continued to grow. Now the Boxer War had ended and the unrest had settled. The Christians in the inland were asking for help. So many people wanted to hear about Jesus that they needed help. And so the Scott family was coming. Betty was the only child, but not for long. Soon Helen, Beatrice, Francis, and Kenneth were born. Father preached and mother taught the children and the women. Betty loved living in China. The Chinese Revolution in 1911 overthrew the dynasty. A man named Sun was in America when this happened, but he quickly returned to China. In January 1913, the assembly elected him president of the United Provinces of China. At age of 11, Betty had to leave to go to boarding school. She loved school. And at age 16, her father had an announcement. They were going to spend six months traveling and telling people about the work in China. They would travel to places all around the world. After the six months, Betty would stay in the States and finish high school. That time traveling with her family is one of the best times of her life. She saw so many great things. It was hard to say goodbye to her family and start a new place in her last year of high school. But that last year went quickly and soon she was in college. Betty loved learning and she continued to study Mandarin. The summer after her first year, she spent at a retreat center. This would be the summer that changed her life. God showed her a verse, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Betty had spent her life so far just enjoying life, wanting the most exciting, fun things. She loved it when people noticed her. Her life had been great, but her life had been her own. She had lived it so far for herself. What was living? I mean, to really live, what was it? To really live, to live was Christ. She went back to school a changed person. Students would come and visit Betty, and whenever they had any problems, Betty would always point them to Bible verses. Every day, Betty spent time praying and studying the Bible. In 1928, Betty graduated college and then went to Moody Bible. She decided she would be a missionary. A man named Dr. Page held a meeting every Monday for people interested in joining the Chinese Inland Mission. This was the mission her parents were serving in. Betty attended the meeting. She knew God was calling her to China. One day she noticed a young man in the group. He was looking at her. His name was John Stan. John and Betty became friends and Betty learned all about John's journey with Jesus. John had grown up in a large family where everyone was very active in mission work. Everybody except John. He had no interest in it at all. From John's home in New Jersey, he could see the skyline of New York City, and that was his dream. Once a missionary from Africa had visited the Stan home, John had been interested in missions for a bit after that. It kind of seemed like an adventure to him, but that soon faded. John would go to church on Sundays, but he found reasons to avoid doing anything else during the week. His family would ha hand out tracts on the streets and witness to people. John would have none of that. I go to church and that's enough. The Stan family would often be part of tent services, evangelical services that were held under a tent and people would come from all around to hear the singing and the preaching. John always had a reason not to go, but one day he couldn't come up with a reason to miss it. So he went and God spoke to him that night. Suddenly the impact of hell as a real place hit him. His own sin and the devastating effect of that hit him. He realized, Everything was wrong. 
That night, John turned to God and gave his life to him. Soon after that, John's dream came true. He got his dream job in New York City. John rode the train every day. While others were reading magazines and newspapers, John was reading and studying Greek. New York was everything he dreamed it would be, but now it all seemed silly. Each builder was in a competition to see who could have the tallest buildings. Some were already 50 stories high, and there was talk that someone was going to build a 100-story building. John watched as the Empire State Building was being built. Everything he had dreamed of suddenly seemed silly. Who cares how high your building is? I mean, it was like children playing with toys. John saw that God had given him a new dream. He quit his job in New York City and went to Moody Bible Institute to study the Bible. That's when he heard about the mission work of Hudson Taylor and the Inland Mission of China. And that's how he came to visit the meetings of Dr. Page. Betty could see how much John loved Jesus, and John could see how much Betty loved Jesus. Their friendship grew, and it didn't take long for Betty and John to know they loved each other. But their love for Jesus was stronger. Betty was farther ahead in school than John. One day, John and Betty were walking along the beach. John stopped and looked at Betty. I love you, but I cannot marry you. Not now. I would hold you back from the mission God has for you. Go to China. Follow God. If we're supposed to be together, God will bring us back together. Betty left shortly after that for China as a single missionary. The boat docked and Betty got off. She had arrived in China when she was just a few months old as a missionary kid. Now she was arriving as a missionary herself. She knew the language and the culture, but she had been away for so many years, and there was a lot of things she needed to adjust to, many things that happened in China while she was away. Exactly 10 years earlier, in 1921, the Communist Party had been founded. The president, Sun, had begun to accept some of the beliefs of the Communist Party as well. As President Sun gave more power to the Communists, Russia began to give more aid to China. President Sun was very open to Christianity, and many historians believe that he was a Christian. He truly wanted peace in China, and the doors became open wide for missionaries during this time. However, Sun died of cancer in 1925, and the land became run by local landlords, and then the communists began to gain ground. By 1928, the new leader had been granted dictator power of China. The fight was now on between nationalists and communists. At the exact same time, Japan was preparing to attack China. So when Betty arrived back in China in 1931, it was a much different place than it had been when she left. Betty spent a year living with missionaries. She relearned the culture and she worked on her Mandarin. John finished up his year at school. At his graduation, he was given the privilege of giving a student speech. Here's a passage from his speech. The Great Commission never called for advance, only if funds were plentiful and if no hardship or self-denial were involved. We were told to expect tribulation and even persecution, but God himself is with us as our captain to encourage us and to fight for us. After graduation, John headed to China. It was October when the boat, the Empress of Japan, landed in China. He was directed to the mission house. As he entered the courtyard of the house, there were so many people bussing around. Then out of the corner of his eye, he saw a young lady. He turned. It was Betty. 
she was shocked to see him as well. In all of China, how did we end up in the same space? Betty had been sick, and the mission workers had sent her to the headquarters for some rest. She had no idea John would be there. The two immediately knew they were going to get married. But they still had one more year to spend apart. Betty went back to the area where she was working, and John had a year to study and prepare for the culture and the mission work here in China. Betty would travel and share the gospel. Everywhere she went, women and children would flock to her. They loved to hear the stories of Jesus. Women would beg for a Bible. The hearts were open and ready for the gospel. John learned the language and the culture so quickly, everyone in the mission was shocked. One Sunday, after the preacher had preached to the missionaries, John went out into the streets and preached the exact same sermon, but in Mandarin. The missionaries had never seen someone learn the language so quickly. There was a drought at the time and a famine was coming. One day, John heard a large parade coming down the road. It was people praying to idols and asking for rain. John stepped into the parade and began to give out tracts and preach. Soon a crowd had gathered around him. It was clear John was ready to pastor a Mandarin church. It was soon October again and Betty returned to the mission house. Pews were pulled out of the chapel and set up outside in the garden. Flowers were set along the way, and they had a beautiful outdoor wedding. Betty and John then moved to the inland. They would live and serve there. The church was eager to hear their new preacher, and Betty soon learned she was pregnant. On September 11, 1934, a month before their first anniversary, little Helen was born. John and Betty traveled all over the villages in the area. They preached and gave money and food to the villages that needed famine relief. Stories would reach them that the communists were invading towns, that landowners and foreigners were being killed. The stories were horrific, but they seemed they had to be exaggerated. John, on his travels, came to a small town of Tinksen. Missionaries had been there to preach, and there were Christians in the village, but no church. John met with the magistrates. He was told the town would welcome a pastor and a church. But what about the communists? There's no communists here. And if anyone gives you a hard time, you come straight to us. We'll protect you. And John left to talk to Betty, and Betty was excited. They would plant a church. This is what she wanted to do. November the 12th, Betty and John met with a group of missionaries. They had baby Helen dedicated, and then they left for their new life. The town had no roads that led to it, just a small pathway, so Betty and John had to walk much of the way. They arrived in the town on November 23rd. There was a small home waiting for them. Betty took a sign that says, Jesus never fails, and hung it on the wall. The next day was Sunday, and they had their first church service. John would hold three services a week, and the church was growing quickly. The young couple was very loved by the town right away. Then one morning, a messenger came. The communists were on their way to the small village. This seemed strange to John. Why this place? He went out to look for details. He heard many reports. Some said the communists were only a few miles away. Some that the story was a rumor and not true at all. Then he heard the magistrate had escaped and left town. There was now no law. He ran to Betty. We need to leave. Betty began grabbing things that baby Helen would need, but it was too late. They could actually hear the marching of the communists now, and then the gunshots as they began killing people in the town. Communists would kill all the landowners, all shop owners, anyone with money. John locked the gates 
and the doors of their house. Soon the communists were banging on their doors, and it didn't take long for them to break through the doors. They demanded money. John gave them all his money. Betty had $10 in her pocket. She kept it. Betty offered the communists some tea. They refused. They took John. They tied his arms behind his back and took him away. Betty took little Helen and wrapped her in a sleeping bag with some extra diapers and pinned the $10 to her clothes. The communists returned and took Betty and Helen with them. They were thrown in prison. Baby Helen started to cry. One of the communists ordered, kill the baby. Betty held her close, trying to keep her from crying. One of the other prisoners cried out, please, please don't kill the baby. The communists turned to the prisoner. Would you take the baby's place? The prisoner said yes. The prisoner was then hacked to pieces by the communist swords. That night, John found a piece of paper and wrote a letter. It said this. My wife, baby, and myself are today in the hands of communists. Their demand is $20,000 for our release. All our possessions and stores are in their hands, but we praise God for peace in our hearts. God grant you wisdom in what you do, and God grant us fortitude and courage of heart. He is able and a wonderful friend in such a time. Things happened so quickly this morning. We were in the city just a few hours after even the rumors really became alarming, so that there, we could not prepare in time to leave. We were just too late. The Lord bless and guide you, and may God be glorified, whether by my life or by my death. In him, John C. Stamp. The next day, John and Betty and baby Helen were marched to another city. John saw the postman and he called out to him, Here's a letter. I have no money, no stamp. Don't worry, the postman said. I will make sure it is delivered. John and Betty were brought to a large house. The homeowner had already been killed. The place had already been raided by the communist and anything of importance had been taken. The couple was thrown into a room. John was tied to the bed. Betty was allowed to be free in the room so she could care for Helen. At four in the morning, the communists came back into the room. Betty quickly pushed Helen into a corner and covered her with a sleeping bag. The communists took Betty and John into the streets. They began to yell, come watch the foreigners die. The foreigners must die. A Chinese doctor stepped forward and begged for their lives. He was captured and taken by the communists and killed. Everyone else was too afraid after that to do anything to help Betty and John. The communists took John and Betty out of town and led them to the top of the hill. They ordered John to kneel. As soon as he knelt, a sword fell on the back of his neck and he was dead. Betty threw herself on top of John and cried out. The sword hit her neck, and she was dead also. The communists left and went back to the village. The two bodies were left on top of the hill. It was three days of terror, and then the communists left. They would march into another village and do the same. Missionaries from a nearby village received John's mail and came, but it was too late. They had been killed. But what about the baby? They asked everywhere they went. No one would even look at them or talk to them. Everyone was so afraid. No one knew who in the village was a communist. Who would turn them in when the communists came back? Finally, one woman glanced towards a large house nearby. The missionaries ran to the house. As they entered the house, they could hear a baby crying. They ran and lifted the blanket. Helen was tired, wet, hungry, but alive. They changed her and found a mother in town that would nurse her. 
The $10 pinned to her clothes would be enough for them to travel to the village where Betty's parents lived, but it would take them weeks. Before they left, they went to the hill and took the bodies of John and Betty Stan and gave them a proper burial. Then the journey started. They stopped in villages along the way, finding mothers who'd be willing to nurse Helen, and they met no communists. Finally, they arrived at the home where the Scott family lived. Helen was given to her grandparents. News of John and Betty's death was shocking to the Christians in America. At Moody Bible Institute, they held a special service. Many people came forward and gave their lives to be missionaries, including John's family, who went to China to take his place on the field. John and Betty inspired many missionaries to spread the news of Jesus Christ across many different countries. In July 7, 1937, Japan attacked China and missionaries that were still in China were taken as prisoners of war. Especially the missionaries from America were tortured and killed. When World War II ended, the communists were even more committed to power. On October 1, 1949, China's Communist Party, led by Mao, finally prevailed against the nationalists and assumed power. Under Mao, 60 million people died. Many starved to death after Mao killed the landowners, leaving no one to manage and operate the farms. All doors to missionaries were closed under Mao, and all the churches went underground. Bibles were forbidden. Any mention of God was forbidden. The communists were sure there would be no God in China. No God except communism. But that is not what happened. Under Mao, the secret underground church grew. Mao died in 1976, and through the Cold War, the church continued to grow. Today, there are more than 80 million Christians in China, some estimated to be as high as 100 million. The numbers are not always easy to know because Christians still need to be fairly secretive about their faith. While it's not illegal to have churches, the government still keeps a close eye on them. It is estimated that soon China will have more Christians than any other country in the world. The province where John and Betty died has the largest number of Christians. The church that they started is still there. It's no longer underground. It meets in a large building. The church supports missionaries itself now and is a large sending church for mission work and also aid to villages that are struggling. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13 to 18 says, We have the same faithful spirit as what is written in scripture. I had faith. And so I spoke. We also have faith, and so we also speak. We do this because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus, and he will bring us into his presence along with you. All these things are for your benefit. As grace increases to benefit more and more people, it will cause gratitude to increase, which results in God's glory. So we aren't depressed. And even if our bodies are breaking down on the outside, the person that we are on the inside is being renewed every day. Our temporary minor problems are producing an eternal stockpile of glory for us that is beyond all comparison. We don't focus on the things that can be seen, but on the things that can't be seen. Things that can be seen don't last, but the things that can't be seen are eternal. Today, there are 16,000 people groups. Of those, 6,000 are people groups that have not been reached. What eternal thing is God calling you to today? I'm Laura Lee Siemens, 
check out my website for more videos and more podcasts.